This morning we share in a gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It's a short passage that, in a way, may feel like it packs a bit of a punch. I guess Jesus has a way of doing that sometimes, doesn't he? But we will read it, we will see the challenge in the passage, and hopefully we will also see the grace in the passage as well as we tune our hearts to the Lord and turn our eyes to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable, parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector was standing far off. He would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ever skip to the end of a book to read the last paragraph? I'm going to give you a, a cheater line to the last few lines of the sermon. There's another way to interpret rather than in verse 14. It could go either way, they say. It could read Jesus saying, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified with the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm not saying that gives us permission to be a Pharisee. But maybe it gives us the opportunity to see the wideness of God's mercy and grace as we go today. Now I'm going to begin a few months ago, about three and a half months ago to be exact. On June 11th of this summer, the U.S. women's national team played their first game of the Women's World Cup. It was a great World Cup, whether you, hopefully, you enjoyed it. Maybe you don't like soccer, or you don't think you like soccer, so you didn't watch the women play. If you happen to remember reading the sports page the day after, you'll remember that the women won that first game 13 to nothing. A lot of folks were really upset about this 13 to nothing score. The talking heads and the sports commentators, the, the columnists wrote that it was inappropriate for Megan Rapino to stand like this when she scored a goal against other professional soccer players. I wonder how many columns will be written about balls that are spiked this afternoon. 
or celebrations that are had in the end zone. I, for one, hope the team I cheer for celebrates a lot today, tonight specifically. Our women's team went on to win the World Cup in an extraordinary way. They were far and away the best team on the field for the whole tournament. But they were critiqued, of course. Many will say it was because they're women. I think the critiques weren't fair. These are professionals playing at the highest level of their sport. And the thing about soccer that I didn't know until I started watching was unlike Alabama football or Duke and Carolina and state basketball, we hope, you can't empty the bench in the second half. You only get three substitutes. And if a fourth person gets hurt or a fifth person gets two yellow cards and kicked out of the game, you play down a player. You get three subs. So sure, maybe Alex Morgan could have hung back and not scored six goals in that first game. And I know, maybe Megan Rapinoe shouldn't have been so boisterous. Maybe all of that is true. But if that is true and the critique is true, then as we think about other parts of our life, what we have to remember is how we go about doing something matters. It matters how we present ourselves, maybe even more importantly in faith, because, because how we go about doing something is, in a way, a matter of how we look or where we're looking when we're doing it. And I think how we're looking at our faith and where we're looking is a huge part of what this passage is all about today. She told me I could quote this, but this week, Mar- and so I'm telling you the story, this week Martha and I were in the office talking about other things entirely. I didn't mention the passage for today, but maybe she was, you know, reading up ahead of time. And she offered this great one-liner where she said, if you're looking for a place to make yourself feel good because you are better than other people, Jesus in Scripture is not the place to look. I guess I could close the Scripture there, but I don't want you to beat the Methodist by 30 minutes. It's the hard truth of Scripture, though, sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes when it comes to sermons and preachings and readings in the church, we want it to make us feel better. We want the preacher to deliver the spiritual equivalent of a Thomas Kincaid portrait so that when the lights go down a little bit, those little windows glow just a little bit more. We want everything to look so quaint so that we can feel like we fit right in. And unlike... Unlike a preacher who has to preach the whole Bible, Thomas Kincaid can just cherry pick his favorite scripture to throw on the bottom of one of those pictures. He can take the most assuring verses and the most comfortable verses. But that's not what faith is like sometimes. 
even though I'll put it in parentheses, we have some Thomas Kincaid in our house. Faith doesn't allow us all the time to get up on Sunday morning and put on our best and come to church and sit in our Sunday school class or climb 13 stairs and go to the place where we always sit and drop a 20 in the plate and feel good about ourselves. That's not what God lets us do all the time. We might think that's what we want our faith to do for us. We might think that's what we want God to do for us because we are upwardly mobile, middle and upper class, upper middle class people who want Jesus to help us feel okay with everything. Because we're not swindlers and criminals, are we? We're not the ones who succumb to addiction. We're not the ones on the posters at the police station. Thank God we're not like those other people. And when, if we fall temptation into, into the temptation of doing such a thing, we're a lot like the Pharisee in the parable who said, I show up regularly. I give some money to the church. I say my prayers. And when that happens... We're worried about the wrong things. We're looking the wrong way. We're missing the point. Though the Pharisee got a lot of it right, he did. He took his faith seriously enough to tithe twice, or to tithe. To tithe. He took his faith seriously enough to fast, not just once a week, but twice a week. He read his scripture. He generously supported the temple's work. But he was so proud of that that he looked down on someone else. And if we do that, what we see is we're missing the point. Now, I might be wrong. I don't know. Maybe I should have grown up in a tradition that had more guilt than just being a Baptist. But but when I was a kid reading Scripture as a middle schooler and a high schooler, I remember thinking, when Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, it seems like he's talking to us. Because we were proud of our success. We were glad we had been saved. And we liked... Things the way that they are. And Jesus was hard on the people who acted like that. Jesus was hard on us here. Even though we might have never spread our arms like Megan Rapino. Maybe maybe we think to ourselves, I didn't I didn't break the bank when I bought my new car. But should I have bought a used Camry instead? Maybe we think, you know, I like a nice shirt and a clean suit, but should I have shopped at the thrift store? Would that be more becoming of a Christian or a Christian minister? But if we look at our lives and think, well, at least I'm not like them. Maybe I haven't fully tithed, but I'm not struggling with an addiction. And, 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 and maybe I haven't been as faithful as I could be, but I do show up every once in a while. I think there's a human assurance that comes from that. 
There's a human justification that it is noble to do something and not nothing. But the gospel of Jesus is always going to challenge us and to push us. And I think we need to wrestle with that. We need to wrestle with that because faith is not just about checking all the right boxes and all the right to-dos, but there's a way in which we go about it also that does matter. There's something about this tax collector that gets it right, reminding us that how we approach one another and how we approach God might be just as important as checking off all those boxes. I've wondered about this tax collector in this story. I've wondered if he's the equivalent of the guy who was the thief on the cross who just prayed the right prayer at the right time. And I wonder if that gives us permission to just skate through life, do what we want, as long as we get the right prayer in at the right time, at the end, it's okay. I think the answer to that is that that's no way to live. God wants more for us. But I've also wondered about this text collector. As despised as he was, you know, it's possible that he, it's possible the text collector got a lot of this right, too. It doesn't say he didn't tithe. He was clearly well-versed in the practices of the temple. He was there for prayers also. And it's possible that this this tax collector, I think it's likely, that he's showing us not just what to do, but how to do it. He realizes his need for for God's love and grace and forgiveness, and he humbly approaches God in prayer because of it. He's there in the shadow of the holiest place of his faith, acknowledging that I'm not worthy, I can't do enough, I can't give enough, I can't save myself, so Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's the hero of the passage, not the one who was outwardly righteous. He doesn't seek praise for what he did. He's not showing off his work to anyone else. He embodies his faith with a humble and repentant spirit. And in that way, we see that in Jesus' Parables. Jesus comes again to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted, doesn't he? That's not scripture, but it applies, doesn't it? Jesus comes to challenge us, to, to push us, to call us to something beyond who we are today so that we might be guided to who God wants us to be. And, and so that... By moving beyond who we are today, we're not just better people clicking off more checkboxes, but we are a people who are better in tuned with God's love and presence and work in the world. And so even if we are doing okay, especially if we're doing okay, there is still a call for us to be humble and repentant, just like tax collectors. For the last few weeks, I've been preaching sermons that fit within a, a theme of renewing our faith through the fall. You may not have heard the sermons, and that's okay. 
You may think renewing your faith as you go is kind of boring. Slogging through the stories and the parables of, of, of Luke is admittedly not as exciting as the, the umph that comes with an Easter sermon or the, the beauty that comes with Christmas Eve. Frankly, Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock aren't as exciting as those Billy Graham crusades were 50 years ago. But for, for those of us who are, are saved, for those of us who are God's children, for those of us who have an assurance that, that the Lord is with us, walking with us, renewing our faith is a part of what we do every day. We don't wait for the most exciting times. We, we don't have to wait for a revival or a retreat or camp or a mission trip to draw us closer to God. Rather, we let Scripture read itself onto us and we see that by changing our posture today, we can draw closer to the Lord. And, and so for most of us, the reality is if we want to draw closer to the Lord, we don't need to wait Instead, we take a step today. We attend to our faith today so that we can grow and experience a fresh new experience of God. And today's instruction from Jesus is to be more humble and more repentant. And today we're reminded, as strange as it is, because the Pharisee, to the ones who were listening to Jesus that first time, the Pharisee would have been the hero. He was doing it right. And the tax collector, they were waiting for him to be on the wrong end of the joke. But, but we hear today that actually the way to act to experience the fullness of God is yes, to tithe and to pray and to fast and to attend to Scripture, but to do it all humbly so that we're looking to what God can do rather than what it is we have done. The pride will come later. Being blessed, that's important. We have been given so much. We've been given more than enough. But if we flaunt all of those gifts, if we allow those gifts to help us think that we're better than someone else, we have missed the point. When I think back to the World Cup this summer, to the U.S. women's national team, I am going to remember them fondly. I am going to remember the joy of watching them play soccer because they were really, really good I hope the critiques will fall away. But as those critiques fall away, I, I hope I do still remember that the way I approach something matters just as much as what it is that I accomplish along the way. And I hope that I will be as humble and as repentant as the tax collector because, because I certainly know that I, I have fallen short of the glory of God. Haven't you? And I, left to my own devices, might think that I'm the one who did all the great things. And, and it was God working through me. 
And so no matter where I fall today, I'm working towards something. I'm working towards humble repentance, but but also I'm remembering that, that maybe, even though I'm not a Greek scholar and rely on someone else for this, remember that that the passage ends with this man went home justified alongside the other. They both had something to work on. But they both were saved by the generosity of God's grace and God's love. The difference that day was probably that the tax collector saw God's love a little better, a little more fully and a little more holy than the Pharisee did. And so we come back to the lesson that if we want to experience God better, we don't look to someone else. We consider how we approach our practices of faith and how God might be at work in our lives. And then, through humility, we sense and we see God more holy at work than we ever could have imagined. And when we see that... The response we have is, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. Lord, Scripture is hard sometimes. It's hard to come into church and be challenged and told that how oh, maybe we need to do better. But, but then again, we're told we want and need to do better and in, in being told that, Help us to remember that in our our doing and in our looking and in our posturing and in our turning ourselves to You, it's not just doing better for the sake of doing better. It's, It's doing better so that we might sense Your love and Your work and Your presence among us better and anew. And so, Lord, we take the practices of the Pharisee who was faithful and we ask You that when we are faithful, work through our faithfulness. And Lord, we take the posture of the tax collector and we see that he had the right spirit. And we see that when our spirit is right, when our eyes are pointed in the right direction, when we are humble and repentant, we have a better chance of experiencing you and your love and your grace. And so work in us. Work in us, challenge us, but as we go, walk alongside us. So that through reverence and humility, we might sense the strength of your presence better today than we did yesterday, and better tomorrow than we do today. So that we might be your people, more fully and more holy. Experience your love, now and forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer, and for hearing all of our prayers. And we offer them in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.